I'm Spencer. I'm the deacon here at the table. And uh, part of my responsibilities include getting to be a part of our, our team of preachers here. And so it's a, a great honor to be able to stand up here and proclaim good news in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. We've been preaching out of Isaiah through Advent and Christmas, and we continue to do so now. And so I'm just going to reread our, our passage from Isaiah this morning. Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 4. Nevertheless, there will be no more gloom for those who are in distress. In the past, he humbled the, Ze the land of Zebulun and the land of Nephtali, and in the future he will honor Galilee of the nations by the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. You have enlarged the nation and increased their joy. They rejoice before you as people at the harvest, as warriors rejoice when dividing the plunder. For as in the day of Midian's defeat, you have shattered the yoke that burdens them, the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor. Today we proclaim the good news that as you walk through the darkness of doubt, despair, and death, a great light is dawning. The kingdom of God has come near today, and God is breaking the rod of your oppressor. Now, for many of us, when we hear that God is breaking the rod of our oppressor, we may think instantly of what that is. And for others, we may just instantly think, I wonder what it's like to have an oppressor. That seems like maybe bigger than my problems. I'm not sure that I could identify a concrete oppressor today in my life, somebody that's actually an adversary of mine. But these past two weeks, I feel that I've gotten a little bit more in touch with that personally. So I'm in a season of life where I'm, I'm kind of pushing through. I'm, I'm seeing the finish line of school, which is part of my preparation for going on to be ordained as a priest here at the table. And as part of that, I'm taking my final courses, but I'm also getting ready to step into a really heavy season of writing. I've got two thesis papers that are due in May. And uh, two weeks ago, I had this big, this big decision to make, basically. Am I going to finish this by May, or am I going to ask for an extension into, you know, up to September, basically? And so I was feeling the pressure of making that decision, and Mal and I had a lot of discussions around it, and we ended up Thankfully, Mal actually did most of this, but she, she put pen to paper and put a very diligent outline and schedule for me together of what I'm going to be doing every day from now <laughs> until the papers are due in May. And so, not this past week, but the week before that, I had this calendar with my schedule of all my daily work that I need to do for class and for school and for the thesis. And I had these handlebars that were created. So last Friday, not this past Friday, but the Friday before, <laughs> I was actually uh, at Christian Theological Seminary gathering my resources for writing these thesis papers. And so I'm like down in the basement of the library there, and I'm having some fun actually. I have like a big long list of all these books, and it's like I feel like I'm, I'm making headway. I'm getting the stuff that I need to get going on my to-do list to actu actually like move towards completion. And as I was like halfway through gathering these books in the basement of this library, I started to feel like I had the chills. Not like the cool like, oh, the Holy Spirit's in this library. <laughs> the chills of like, oh man, I know what this feeling is. I bet I have like 102, 103 fever right now, and I need to go home and get straight in bed. So I texted Mallory, and I said, hey, I think I've got a fever. <laughs> and she's like, well, you need to come home and rest. And I was like, oh, I don't know. Let me grab these books, and then I'll come home, and I'll relax. And I don't really have time at this, in this season of life to have a fever. I, I really don't ever have time for having a fever. But this season specifically, I have no time for it. And so I'm thinking, okay, if I go home now, 
maybe I get in bed and I can have a fever for like 12, 24 hours max. But then after that, it's got to be back to the grindstone. Like, we got to get going. I can't be losing ground here. And so went home, got in bed that Friday afternoon. Saturday, I got up, still sick. Started to feel a little bit better in the afternoon. But then when the evening came, everything kind of ramped back up again. I was sick. And then the next day, Sunday, I couldn't be here with you guys because I was sick again. But I was feeling better. Like, every day, I would wake up and be like, I guess this is the last day. I should be fine. You know, this can't go on forever. I'm just about done. I got to get back to work. But then Sunday night was like the worst night that I had had. I've, like my fever was the worst it had ever been. And then Monday morning when I woke up, I didn't feel better at all. I felt even worse than the night before. And so at this point, it started to occur to me that like I may never get over this fever. <laughs> Whatever it is, it's not going away. I'm doing everything that I'm supposed to do. I'm getting in bed. I'm resting. I'm relaxing. But no, that's not handling the issue. And so I couldn't go to work. I couldn't like get back to my normal routine of getting stuff done until this past Thursday, just a couple of days ago. Well, as you can see, I'm preaching this week. So on top of my regular schedule of all my work stuff and reading that I need to be doing and my, my very diligent plan of accomplishing writing these two thesis papers that Mallory helped me put together, I'm also supposed to be writing a sermon. Well, it's really hard to write a sermon when you're in bed. I mean, you can think logically, like, oh, I can read the scriptures and meditate on them, but you really don't feel like doing anything. And so I feel like I just was like making no ground on any of the stuff that I had to do. And this narrative in my head just kept ramping up. It's like, you're running out of time. You're running out of time. So like Thursday morning came and I got Cameron, I helped get Cameron ready for a school. I took her to school, which is our normal routine. The first time that I've been able to do this. I drop her off, and we say the morning prayers there at school, and I leave, and I head to the office. And instead of feeling like, okay, good, I'm finally back to the regular routine, I just start going through all the different things that I need to do, not just that day, but the things I need to figure out a way of incorporating into that day because I haven't done them the past week. And I start to just feel, like, paralyzed. Like, this weight in my chest is, like, building as I'm driving the three blocks from her school to my office. I'm just like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this car. I have so much stuff to do. I don't even know which thing I need to do first. I started to feel like I couldn't breathe. And I just felt like I wanted just to sit there in the car and cry. Because I had so much stuff to do. I didn't know where to start. I didn't know how to get going. But I didn't have time to cry. <laughs> just like having a fever, I felt to myself, I don't have time to deal with this right now. I have to get going. I have to start working on stuff. And so I went to the office and I started kind of plowing through some of my work but then every time I would just dedicate my time to this sermon, I felt like even when I was like spending time working on it, all I was doing was staring at a blank computer screen, basically, thinking like, now I've actually got the time. This is like crunch time now. Like I've got 45 minutes to do good work now, but I couldn't do anything. I just was like frozen, just totally stuck. I think that this sickness that I've experienced in the past week has kind of revealed to me what the rod of my oppressor is in this situation. It's this feeling that, I have to get everything done. Without me getting it done, nothing's going to happen. It's all on me. The pressure's on me to make something happen. Now, I think oftentimes, those of us that don't naturally see who an oppressor is in our life, that we don't have that, that distinct answer that pops top of mind, I think oftentimes the rod of our oppressor is a stick that we've picked up that we think does good work for us. We've picked it up because we think it actually helps us to accomplish more, right? Like me taking the weight and the pressure on myself and saying, okay, it's all on me to make something happen, sometimes it makes me do a lot. So it feels good. But then on weeks like this week, it actually starts to feel like 
that rod is actually what's killing me. What is your rod of your, the rod of your oppressor? Where, where is it in your life that you'd be more comfortable trusting in your own strength, your own ability, than in the promises of God? Where is it easier to rely on your own know-how than it is to trust what God's promising? What are your strategies for pulling yourself out of the gloom? I think oftentimes, for me personally, when I feel this gloom starting to set in, I tell myself that I need to push through it, that I need to figure out a way not to let the gloom get on me, or I need to just talk myself out of it so that I can get back to where God's grace is in my life. Because if gloom is coming on me, there must be something wrong. I must be doing something wrong. Maybe I'm not living right. Maybe I didn't have the right plan in place. I don't know what it is, but I know that this gloom is not God's will for my life. As you walk through the darkness of doubt, despair, and death, a great light is dawning. The kingdom of God has come near today, and God is breaking the rod of your oppressor. In our our passage in Isaiah, the areas that he mentions specifically in this prophecy, Zebulun, Nephtali, Galilee, the way of the sea, these are all areas that are on the outskirts of the country. They're not close to the capital. And so these are actually the first areas that are conquered when there's an invading force coming in. They have the least resources. They're the least closely tied to the capital. And so these areas were actually, they had already been overcome by enemy forces. These are the areas that he names specifically to name that they're walking in darkness and that a great light is rising there. Even the places where you've seen the deepest darkness, you're experiencing a new dawn today. Even in the midst of an oppressor. These people are set free. I think this is sometimes the hardest time to hear a promise of God, actually, because sometimes it can feel just like empty words. Oh, you're free. God's breaking the, the rod of your oppressor. These people must be looking around thinking, I don't see that. We're oppressed. We're very actively oppressed right here in the midst of this. In the, the Psalm passage today, it says, in the day of trouble, he will keep me safe in his dwelling. He will hide me in the shelter of his sacred tent. And set me high upon a rock. Then my head will be exalted above my enemies who surround me. At his sacred tent I will sacrifice with shouts of joy. I will sing and make music to the Lord. One of the really frustrating things about Christianity and the Bible is this obsession with us being surrounded by our enemies. Like God's going to make a table in the presence of my enemies for me. And then here, you know, we're supposed to be hearing good news, right, about being in God's sacred tent and protected. And he says, in verse 6 it says, then my head will be exalted above the enemies who surround me. I would just much rather, like, God do something, do away with these enemies. Like, take, get me out of here. Get them out of here. I don't want to raise my head up right now. Can we figure out a different way of accomplishing this, please? <laughs> thought this was supposed to be good news. <laughs> I don't want it to be like this. I don't want there to be days of trouble. I don't want to be surrounded by my enemies. In 1 Corinthians, the passage that we read this morning, it ends with saying, The message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those of us who are being saved by it, it's the power of God. This is right after Paul was calling out the church at Corinthians for having all these divisions, for saying, oh, I'm baptized by Apollo, Apollos, I'm, I'm baptized by Paul, I'm baptized in the name of Christ. And he's saying that the body of Christ is not called to be separated But this is exactly how God's power is at work in the world, is in the cross. It seems foolish to those that that don't understand it, but to us who are being saved by the way of the cross, this is the power of God to save us. This is what reconciliation looks like. Reconciliation can't take place without you being in the presence of your enemies. 
There's no way for reconciliation to happen unless enemies are all present together. In Matthew 4, it says that Jesus goes to those same places that were named in Isaiah. Jesus went to Zebulun, Naphtali, Galilee, the way of the sea, these places on the outskirts. This is where Jesus went to declare that the kingdom of God had come near. This is where Jesus finds his first disciples. These are the forgotten people of the forgotten area of the country already. And Jesus went through Galilee teaching and proclaiming good news and healing every disease and sickness in these dark places. If you pay attention to what Jesus is saying, he says, Jesus, Jesus says, repent for the kingdom of God has come near. Not repent so that the kingdom can come near, but because it already has come near. He calls them to come and follow him, even in the midst of this dark place, these forgotten people. Come and follow me. As you walk through the darkness of doubt and despair and death, a great light is dawning. The kingdom of God has come near today, and God is breaking the rod of your oppressor. This is not just a a cheeky affirmation. This isn't just when you find a good parking spot. You can say, oh, I must be living right. I'm blessed and highly favored. (laughs) It's also not magical manipulation of when times are bad, then we just say the opposite as a way of saying, like, God, I said this, I'm trusting you for this, so now you have to do it, right? Where I went to Bible school, if you were starting to feel yourself become ill, you were supposed to say, I'm catching a healing. Because if you said that, then God had to heal you. So this isn't just a cheeky affirmation or some magical manipulation that we can do on God. It's beyond both of these things. We are reckoning with a God reality, even in a place where we can't see it. Even as we're walking in the midst of shadows and darkness, we're hearing the good news today that a great light is dawning. As you walk through the darkness of doubt and despair and death, a great light is dawning. The kingdom of God has come near to you today. God is breaking the rod of your oppressor. So I didn't feel like I made a lot of headway on Thursday or Friday on my sermon. I had some time still set aside yesterday to be able to go to a coffee shop and just dedicate my time specifically to working on this thing. So yesterday morning, I'm sitting at Starbucks, and I've got nothing, no distractions in front of me, no work to do, nothing to catch up on other than just writing this sermon for today. And I was just sat there looking at my computer screen, feeling utterly stuck. Even when I took a break from being stuck in front of my computer screen, then all I could think about was how much work I needed to be doing on my sermon. But I couldn't do it whenever I got back to the computer. I couldn't do anything. Now, I was asking this whole time, how can I respond to this good news? How can I actually physically respond to what God is saying? Because I know that this is, this is true. This promise of God is true, right? That a great light is dawning, that God is breaking the rod of my oppressor this rod of me having to get everything done. But also, while I'm believing that, the time is getting shorter between then and service today. And I don't don't feel that good news in my bones. I don't see around. When I hear that a great light is dawning, I start to look around, just like the people in Isaiah, and I didn't see anything. I didn't see the sun coming up. It just felt like darkness. So I asked, how can I respond to this good news? I I thought to myself, if God is really present and at work in this situation, and it doesn't truly all depend on me, then I can put this out of my mind for a bit and just take a nap. So, I did. And unfortunately, it didn't magically just unlock everything. I didn't have like a a visionary dream while I was napping. I woke up and just like wrote my sermon super quick, and it was the best sermon ever. Um, And I still even spent a good portion of the evening while I was doing other things, thinking about my sermon, 
It was not like I could just be like, all right, I'll worry about this on Sunday morning. Sermons basically write themselves anyways. <laughs> I would have preferred that it had been an instantaneous re- reaction in some way, that magically I would have been able to, after my nap, I woke up and just wrote the sermon, or that I would have felt like a completely new person, you know, all the way down in my bones. I just felt like the whole situation had been redeemed by this magical nap. But I didn't feel that way. I still had the same situation in front of me. I still had to write this sermon. Nobody else was going to write it. Uh, I couldn't tell somebody else to preach <laughs> on a couple hours' notice. There was no way out of this specific situation. But I felt a little bit different. I felt that I could lift up my head and that I wasn't alone in the midst of writing this. And so while there was still work to be done and there wasn't a magic snap of the fingers and a wave of a wand and the situation over, I was able to feel the weight of this responsibility without feeling oppressed by it, without feeling burdened by it. And that made all the difference. Where is God asking you to trust him today? What is the rod of your oppressor? What are the lies that you have believed? Where, where are the areas where you're more comfortable trusting in your own strength? to get out of these situations that are uncomfortable, where you feel surrounded by opposition or situations that you can't control? Where are you striving to stay out of the the gloom in hopes of earning God's glory? God's wondrous light is dawning on the darkest areas you walk today. You don't have to earn it. Repent, church, for the kingdom of God is near this morning. Jesus is saying, come and follow me. As you walk through the darkness of doubt and despair and death, a great light is dawning. The kingdom of God has come near today, and God is breaking the rod of your oppressor.